Hi, I'm Becky. And I'm Helen. And welcome to another episode of the Salty Mums podcast. Exploring how as Christian mums we stay the salt of the earth in today's culture with women sharing their stories and wisdom. Hello. Hello, everybody. How are you this morning, Helen? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm having my um, autumnal makeup dilemma. So <laughs> I thought you might be interested to hear about this. Yeah. Um, so it's October. Is, the, is it November? It's November. Yeah. And um, I don't, I'm not really a makeup kind of girl because I'm lazy, but every November I have a crisis, <laughs> mainly to do with the bags under my eyes and the paleness of my skin. So I'm wearing makeup. Do you think I look nice today? I think you look beautiful. Okay. I always think you look beautiful. It will only last a week. And then next week I'll be like, I can't be bothered with makeup. <laughs> makeup usually. Hardly ever. Hmm. There we go. I thought you were going to tell me you had like some seasonal makeup dilemma and you're like there's just aren't autumnal colors around my arms <laughs> that is not the dilemma no <laughs> oh well moving on <laughs> um today we have got the lovely joe johnson who i have known a long time now probably probably about seven or eight eight years um but um she um works for wickliffe and um, bible translators and um She's going to talk to us today a little bit about um, being a missionary mum as such. And um, so, yeah. Hello, Jo. Hi there. How are you? Yeah, doing really well. Thank you. Yeah. Nice, nice morning in uh, in Buckinghamshire. Is it sunny Buckinghamshire? Uh, not too bad, actually. It's trying to be sunny, at least. Um, there's so many trees down yesterday. Okay. It's very windy, wasn't it? I know. Can't get my washing dry either at the moment. <laughs> we have a small group um, and we spend half our time talking about drying our washing <laughs> rather than the Bible. So. <laughs> Hopefully, Joe, you'll inspire us today a little bit more. <laughs> I yeah, haven't really you dry your washing any dress? solutions to that. Yeah, that I, I'm having washing issues, washing drying issues as well. So, uh. <laughs> oh, the life of being mum. Yeah, right. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, whatever you want, really. Okay. So, um, I'm married to Stuart, and uh, we just passed our 29th anniversary, which seems like a really, really long time. Um, <laughs> in a good way, I we, hope. <laughs> In a good way, but like, oh my gosh, we have we really been married that long? Um we have three grown-up kids, two of whom are married, um, and Stuart and I have been working with Wycliffe for more than 25 years. Um, so we first uh, went overseas almost as soon as we got married, and um, but we have been back in the UK for the last 11 years. Amazing. I'm I'm fascinated, Joe, by missionary work because you know you have those things um in your life where you kind of feel like um I, God, I I kind of do anything, but not that. Uh, that's that's missionary to me. That's going overseas. So I'm really fascinated um to know like what what was the beginning for you? Like why why did you decide that you were going to be a missionary for Bible translation? Um, funny story is oh you weren't um, me were you and then god was like you my mum was my <laughs> mum was and she actually as um a newly married person went to keswick 
Bible convention and refused to go to the missionary meeting so, <laughs> so that God couldn't call her. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it, it worked for me. I um, did a degree in American studies, which covered Latin America and the Caribbean, as well as the US. And um, as I was kind of getting towards the end of my degree, I felt God said, I really, really wanted to go and visit those nations that I'd not seen, um, but I'd done loads of study about. And God said to me, well, why don't you go and do something useful rather than um, just go kind of doing backpacking or whatever? And so so I said, sure, and started applying for short-term mission um, ended up in Haiti for a year doing development up in the uh, countryside there. Um, and this short term, like even my church leaders felt like, yeah, this was a short term thing. This wasn't a, a, a life calling for me very quickly turned into something I wanted to do for the rest of my life, something I felt that God had for me. Wow. Amazing. And why particularly Bible translation? <laughs> Oh, well, that's because I married a linguist. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, No, I am absolutely passionate about the word of God. I feel it's one of the most transformative things um, in this world. And I believe that all churches need um, in order to do evangelism in order to disciple people, we need access to the word of God. And unfortunately, despite the fact that there are nearly 7,400 languages in this um, world, mm. there's only 724 of them that have the whole Bible. Wow. Okay. Now, of course, that's not, <clears throat> so you've only got about 10% of them have a whole Bible, but that doesn't represent 10% of the world's population. Mm. Um, but there's still nearly 1.5 billion people who don't have access to the whole of God's word. Wow. Some of them have some portions of scripture and some have nothing at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to work for um, Biblica, as you all know, Joe, who um, mm-hmm. they came at it from the slightly different angle of sort of keeping translations updated like that yeah. to make sure it's relevant in today's language. But um, I used to really love you know, standing near you in student <laughs> festivals because we both we both got the importance of Bible yeah. translation and um it's I think it's a bit of a unsexy thing in the church. Mm. Like I don't think many people think about supporting Bible translation. You know, people think about development mm. and mm. um very practical things in sort of in terms of water, which of course is all really needed, but like the Bible is our is our spiritual food, isn't it? And um um our way of talking to God so um yeah I think it's amazing um so tell us about the journey um to take yourselves and and your children out to Africa because I think you know we can all come from that angle can't we of like oh my goodness you know I mean we're all we all can be a bit middle class about these things and (laughs) my children to go to lovely schools Mm. and be in a nice Mm. home and be able to go to soft play and all these (laughs) things (laughs) and yet you took them you know way out of there you know away from family and 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 all those sort of things that we that are familiar and yeah I I think um our first step was that we decided um in order to to be involved in Wycliffe you have to do quite a bit of training some bible college some linguistics training and we knew that we were meant to be going to French-speaking Africa and 
So we decided to do our training in Africa alongside um, church leaders and other translators, people that we were likely to be working with. We thought that would be the best training for us. And so um, we headed out less than a year after we got married to start training and I got pregnant nearly straight away. So I had our first child in Nairobi um, and after that we just kind of had babies wherever we happened to be. We didn't um, didn't really organize things terribly well. Um, <laughs> partly because we we worked out quite quickly that um, getting pregnant seemed to be something that was up to God rather than up to us. Um, because we had it, you know, we had the got pregnant when we weren't particularly planning it, but we also had then had to wait a while to get pregnant again after that. So um, I, I realized that that God had a plan for where each of our children were to be born. And me trying to interfere with that plan didn't really seem to work out. <laughs> Was there ever... Um... A difference. It doesn't sound like it, but was there ever a difference in in you and your husband in in your callings, or were you always called as a as a couple, or was there ever moments where you felt like you were being called differently by God? Um, when we were not yet engaged, um, I was in Haiti still, and we were writing letters to each other. And Stu made it very very clear that if we had a future together, that it was French speaking Africa. That was a non-negotiable for him. Um, and he's always been very gracious because he quite often hears from God before I do, but he has always waited for me to hear separately right. because inevitably in life, but particularly when you're living in another country, um, there are going to be tough times. And for me, it was very important to be absolutely 100% sure I was in the right place yeah. because it's much easier to hang in there mm. when you're sure that you're in the place that God wants you to be. Mm. Um, so um, he was very gracious, actually, and um, definitely uh, waited for me to hear. So we'd actually got all our training done and halfway through my French study before we actually applied to join Wycliffe, um, even though we were, were kind of had a relationship with them because Stuart had volunteered for them before we got married. So um, he knew that I just needed that and that worked out really well for us. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. And just, just going back a little bit to your... Um, your mention of, of giving birth in, in Kenya. Just casual mention of, oh yeah, I just had a baby in Kenya. <laughs> what what was that like? Because I mean, I, I I know someone who was living in, in Kenya and, and she needed quite specialist care. So she had to come back um, for that. But what was, mm -hmm. what was giving birth and pregnancy like in, in, a, in a different country? I suppose you probably didn't know better. I don't know. <laughs> um, so... I did all my pregnancies in Africa. I had one birth experience in the UK, and that was by far the worst one wow, of the three. Wow. Um, my best, best birth experience was probably the most basic context in a, in a hospital in Uganda. Mm. Um, and that one was a bit more dicey because we moved country halfway through it. So I didn't have very continuous care. You don't mean um, halfway through the birth, right? Yeah. No, halfway through the birth. <laughs> Just checking. Um, so, um, but yeah, with the one uh, with 
with our middle son, um, we moved back to the UK. I was about six and a half months pregnant and we didn't have anywhere to live and therefore getting registered with a GP was very complicated and getting prenatal care. Anyway, it was it was the most complicated birth and it's probably good that we were in the UK for it, but it wasn't a very good experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say um, if you can be in a capital city where there's a good hospital, mm-hmm. it's not a problem. Nairobi has, if you can afford them, excellent mm-hmm. healthcare options. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, we were given some pretty strict guidance on check that your hospital can provide this, this and this before you agree to give birth in Africa. So we followed the, the um, wisdom that we were given. Mm, that's really helpful. Mm. I like the way that you're sending this <laughs> yeah. to people as well. Go for it, people. Have yeah. babies anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was the, um, if you had to kind of pinpoint the biggest challenge personally for you not being in the UK, what would it, what would it be? I think it was just being away from my family. Um, I think a lot of people who've worked overseas, whether it's in missions or whether it's just um, in uh, the not-for-profit sector would say that friends very quickly replace family, Mm -hmm. but um, it's a very, very transient community. So you're constantly saying goodbye to people Mm. and constantly having to rebuild Mm. relationships. And whereas your family um, is always there. Mm. So I I think particularly when my kids were little, not having their grandparents in Mm. their lives very much, um, excuse me, and not having um, that kind of day-to-day support. Uh, Obviously, this is a few years ago and there wasn't um, Skype or when we first started having children, we couldn't phone home easily. Mm. We were still writing letters rather than sending emails and stuff. Mm. Um, so all of that became, it meant that you felt very far away from the people that you would perhaps look for to help you out with learning how to be a parent. Sure. Mm. Very tricky. Um, and what were the biggest challenges coming coming back to the UK? Um, I think all of the children going from living in one specific com- context, which they were all very happy in, to moving back to um, a different one was a huge transition. Mm. And all of them had really big challenges um, learning how to function in a new culture. They'd been in a school in Nairobi, which had 70 nationalities. And my son calculated that if you include atheism, that had 13 um, religions represented. And the school had been very strong on, we respect everyone, regardless of what they believe or what they look like. And so they came from that environment to moving back to a fairly secular environment where at least one of them was told that the only intelligent response to religion was atheism. And so they were trying to navigate being Christians and um, in a different environment and found that very tricky. Yeah, Mm. it was hard. 
That's fascinating, isn't it? Because there is um, some statistics that came out this week about um, why refugee or asylum seekers try to get to the UK. And one of the, the reasons they try, I think it was one of the top three reasons, was that they view the UK as a very tolerant <laughs> place. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. I, th- I think part of the issue is that our children obviously have British passports. They sound British and they look British, yeah. or they look they're white. They look white Anglo-Saxon, and so they ought, they look like they ought to fit in, yeah. and they sound like they ought to fit in. But in fact, they were very different, and that was quite a big transition for them. How old were they when you moved back, Joe? Um, so our eldest was just going into sixth form. The next one down was fourteen, and then. Um, our youngest was going into year six, so she was 10. And that was really tough because um, she had to change schools mm. very quickly. Mm. It's really hard. Yeah. Really hard. You've already um, said that you you missed the family support um, when the children were young. What, what was the support system that you did kind of build around yourself when you had a young family? Um, so... I guess it was other missionaries and other expats. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a great friendship group in the school that the kids were in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the, tr- the tricky things for us is, although we lived in Kenya, in Nairobi, we were actually assigned to the Democratic Republic of Congo and we couldn't live there because it uh, there was a war going on and it was wow. too dangerous. But my husband used to take trips in. Um, and because it was very, very expensive and quite tricky to get in, they'd go for a long time. They'd usually be gone for three or four weeks. Mm. Um, and but they never he would never go on his own. So I was really fortunate that I would there would likely be one or two other families in exactly mm. the same situation because their husbands were traveling with my husband. Mm. Um, and so we would then band together and we'd have do things at weekends and have meals together during the week and just generally check in. Um, mm. um, and my mum was great that as soon as we had email um, and later texts up and running as an option, as an affordable option, she would contact me every day when Stuart wasn't around just to check in, know how they could pray for us. So, you know, we were, I was really fortunate because mm. not everyone gets that kind of support from a distance. Mm. Yeah. And, and where was God for you in those challenges? I think um, very quickly he has to be right in the centre of it because it was too hard to keep doing just in my own strength. Mm. Um, and and really there were no other op- options. A lot of the things I think that I would have fallen into the habit of doing had I been in this country, going to soft play and mm. spending a bit more money on takeaways and that kind of stuff at least um, at first just weren't an option in Nairobi. Those things didn't exist. And so um, you had to be quite a lot more creative and you had to. um, But I I remember often putting the kids to bed and then just sitting and praying and saying, God, you've got to help me make it through Mm. another day. Mm. Um, And it's not that there wasn't joy in the times because there was lots of joy, but there was, I remember being exhausted often when Stuart was traveling and um, our middle son is asthmatic and you could guarantee 
you would either have an asthma attack or croup yeah. <laughs> when Stuart wasn't around. So um, that, that was complicated because if you needed to go to the hospital, I then had to ring someone else up in the middle of the night and say, could you come over and sit with the other two so I can take Micah to the hospital? Um, so, yeah, the, it, it wasn't without its challenges. But um, like I said, knowing I was where God wanted me to be really helped me to just dig into my relationship with God. Tell us about the joys. What what were the if you could pinpoint some of the joys of mission, and um, what would they be? The weather is great. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have my pale skin problem, would I? <laughs> um, yeah, we were very very blessed living in Nairobi. It never got hotter in the days. Then about 32, it always got cool at night. Oh. Um, you know, it was just lovely. Oh. <laughs> out the window with the rain. Yeah, <laughs> I think you always felt like your life meant something mm-hmm. because you're, you're building something that would last forever. Mm-hmm. And there were lots of times where it was hard and, and we cried, but um, we got to hang out with people who had the same value system as us because they had also decided to give up living in their home context in order to build something that would last forever, mm-hmm. that would make a difference in other people's lives. Um, and particularly in our situation, because the situation in Congo was so desperate, it's still pretty hard, um, that being able to offer people something like the word of God, which would give them an eternal hope. Absolutely. Um, was just so important Mm. Um, and in fact a few years after we moved back I got the privilege of holding a New Testament Mm. that I had had just a little bit um, I'd been their project funding person so I had done all their reports and liaised with the donors and feeling like I had played a part (laughs) in that New Testament coming to being was just the best feeling really 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 amazing yeah that's amazing. So now you've got three um, grown-up children. You've left yeah. the nest. What's What's next for you? Well, um, very interestingly, because um, I was fairly satisfied with helping where I could and really facilitating my husband's ministry in the last 10 years, that's kind of flip-flopped so that <laughs> um, I... Uh, as we moved back to the UK, or in fact, before we moved back to the UK, but particularly after we moved back, I uh, started taking a leadership role in prayer, first of all with Wycliffe UK, and now um, about five years ago, I was offered the job um, leading the prayer team internationally. Mm. So um, I'm on the <laughs> international leadership of Wycliffe globally and um get it's a big deal i know i told you <laughs> <laughs> and i literally went from doing project funding for a couple of projects <laughs> and you know that has to be a good thing because that is absolutely not me and i'm <laughs> still a bit gobsmacked but i just i actually get to have um a global influence and in that is just such an immense mm. privilege um tiring at times but it's a privilege yeah and um, is there a 
piece of scripture or a verse or anything that you would share with our amazing mummy listeners, um, something that's maybe given you comfort or guidance or inspiration um, that could just inspire us in our weeks ahead? Well, I hope so. Um, <laughs> no this pressure. is a verse from Isaiah 58, 11, which I was given before I went overseas, even before I was married. Um, and the really, really special thing is last week I was at a missions conference in the States They'd invited an into one of the international houses of prayer to come in and to lead worship and minister to all these global leaders that were there. And someone prayed this verse over me, not wow. knowing <laughs> that this was the promise that God gave me um, when I went, first went overseas over 30 years ago. So it's, it says this, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never fail. Um, wow. Yeah, and I, I can honestly say that he's been faithful to that promise. Oh, that's beautiful. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Joe. It's, it's a privilege. Oh, no, it's our privilege. It's good <laughs> to chat to you. And then um, if you want to find out a little bit more about um, Joe's work with Wycliffe, um, you can um, look up look it up at Wycliffe.net, um, which is sort of the global uh, work that um, Joe's involved in, or at Wycliffe.org.uk to see what um, Wycliffe UK is is up to. Um, Joe has very kindly shared an email address you can contact her with for any questions, and we'll share that on the show notes. But um, uh, before you go, Helen's going to do. I am going to pray for us, but you didn't tell me that she was like a big wig in the prayer world. So uh... (laughs) it's a pleasure to pray for you, Joe. Thank you. Uh, Dear Lord God, we are are so thankful for Joe and for Stuart and Mm -hmm. for all the missionaries all around the world that are um that have heard your voice father and that are doing the the work that you need done um in the countries that um that you need it done in for all the sacrifices that they gave up all those uh, soft play sessions that they weren't able to do um but yeah for 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 the whole family as well father we we are so grateful for people like joe and stuart and lord god um as as Joe takes on this fairly new role now and the children are grown up and Stuart carries on with his work, Father, we do pray that you would be so um, with this family still, mm. uh, that you would be blessing their lives abundantly and that you would be reminding them of that promise that you will be there mm. in those uh, sun-scorched lands. Mm. And Father, for the rest of us this week, we pray whatever our week brings and whether it's soft play, Lord, be with us in soft play Mm -hmm. Um, or whatever we're doing, Father, whether we're overseas or we're just grateful that you are with us all and that you promise to be faithful in all of our lives, whatever they look like. Amen. Amen. I noticed you didn't pray for, you know, if I'm called to be. (laughs) (laughs) That is a dangerous prayer to pray, Becky. <laughs> oh, thanks so much, Joe. Okay. So, I think one lesson I learned from that is basically don't say I'm never going to be a missionary or yeah. I'm never. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. Anywhere but there, Lord. Yeah. It's um, it's a hard life, isn't it? It did sound yeah challenging, but I just th- th- the way that she kind of dealt with it all in her stride is yeah. Yeah, is, is very inspirational isn't it and I think sometimes in our 
kind of middle class bubbles um mm. we just we over complicate things don't we and absolutely and absolutely yeah, hearing, hearing from her i think was really grounding for me yeah and it's it's also really amazing to hear how technology has made something absolutely. like being a missionary um so much easier mm. and mm. reduces some of those challenges absolutely. i think um makes the world a bit of a smaller place in a mm. lot of ways mm. but um yeah Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us and hope to see you soon. Remember, all the links that we've talked about today can be found on our show notes. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do remember to hit subscribe if you haven't done already. And even better, you can help us reach a wider audience by giving a quick review on whichever platform you're listening on. See you next time. Bye. Bye. This chair is really squeaky. It does sound like... I've eaten too many Brussels sprouts, but there we go. <laughs> Let's edit that out. <laughs>